all this emotion. Whew. Okay. Yeah, I got a little emotional myself yesterday. Standing, I got to preside for about two and a half minutes of Vincent and Victoria's wedding. And I was the comic, I was the straight man because I was, you know, I, you know I've, on a marriage ceremony, I've never been the one that said, hey, if anybody sees fit that these two shouldn't get married, let them, you know, speak now or forever hold their peace. I've never done that. So I got to do it. And I was all serious. Nobody said anything, which was good. And then, and then I walked off. And then Jeremy comes up and goes, marriage! And he's like, oh my gosh. I know some of you have never seen The Princess Bride. But anyway, it was funny. And I got a little emotional to see Victoria in her wedding dress. And remember Shannon holding her when they first came to interview. I mean, that's just... Wasn't that last week? Oh my gosh, it was just crazy to be able to um, be a part of that. And, um, you know, all of that's going on this, this season, you know. I can remember when Jamie was born. We're going to be performing a wedding here pretty soon. And, you know, Brody's graduating from high school. What is going on? What happened? I just went to sleep and all this stuff changed. There's, there's been a big turmoil in my life because of what, uh, I mean, life just continues and I just feel like I'm in slow motion. And so today, as we go through the book of Psalms, and have you been reading this week? Anybody? Okay. So um, we're doing, this is actually the third week of David, and we've been going through David's Psalms, and uh, one of them was Psalm 56. And so, if you would turn to Psalm 56 and be prepared to hear what the Lord has for us today, that would be great. But um, if, if you remember yesterday, last week's sermon, we talked a little bit about the different types of psalms that we have. And um, I went through those six. These are general types of psalms. The praise hymn, the song of trust, the thanksgiving, the lament, the wisdom, and the kingdom covenant or messianic psalms. So those six. So if you are keeping score at home, Psalm 56 is another dualistic psalm where we have a little bit of something and a little bit of another thing. And so David, when he does Psalm 56, is a little bit of lament. There is some lament to God about what he's going through, but yet also there's a thanksgiving where he's just thanking God. And the odd part of it, he's thanking God before he realizes God coming through. And we'll talk about that today. But um, I'd like to, I know you guys know that I don't really care about history very much about things, but... We're going to talk a little bit about the history of Psalm 56. And so if we look at the, the superscription before Psalm 56.1, there is a director, there is a direction for the psalm that is, in, that is biblical. This is, this is canon. This is what we find in the original text for Psalm 56. And it says this, For the director of music to the tune of... Quote, a dove on distant oaks of David. 
Amictam, when Philistines had seized him in Gath. And then we launch into Psalm 56. But there's so much there first. I'm going to take a little few moments here to look at the superscription. And it's, it's a plan. for So lots of you just sing music. Okay? You're not a song. You're not a worship leader. You don't have any direction. Whenever the song goes up, you see the words, you start singing along. Hey, I recognize this song. You know, Jesus, Jesus. And you, you sing along. But for many of us, not me, but others that are musically inclined, that have the ability to, to do music and to do it, there's some direction, there's some, some code there. And so for Psalm 56, they are giving direction. So they says, to the tune of a dove on distant oaks. Now, that is possibly what it says. It's also, it talks about a dove being not here in a distant land. Could be oaks, could be... There's some question about that, but is it, is it really talking about maybe David is the dove that's in a distant land? Well, I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but it's assumed that when people heard you play this song to this tune... That people knew this tune. We don't. We we don't have this song for posterity to be able to say, "Oh, that's a good song." You know, we could we could say, "Hey, let's let's sing." You know, praise the Lord to play that funky music, White Boys, and everybody would sort of know it. Well, some of us of a certain vintage would know that song, but anyway, <laughs> that just came to my mind. I have no idea why I came up with that song, but anyway. But everybody was, oh, okay, praise the Lord. Okay, anyway, I won't do it, play that funky music. But anyway, um, and so there, most musicians knew what the tune was. They went right into it, and then this song went into it. Okay? So David has orchestrated this to go that way. And it says that it's a mictom. 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 What's a mictom? You know what? Nobody knows what a miktam is. I mean, look it up. I mean, go to Google. What's a miktam? Everybody's like, we don't know. We have lost that to posterity. What is a miktam? Now, we have a couple indications. If we look that there are actually six miktams of David in the Psalms, and all of them tend to be reflective. And then if you go and in the book of Isaiah, they talk about a miktam, and it's Isaiah praying to God because God has told him he's going to die. And so it's almost like a under your breath when Isaiah, uh, when, I'm sorry, Hezekiah was going to die and Isaiah comes to him, Hezekiah is doing the miktam, okay? He's, oh God, I... I've, I've done a lot of things for you. Please have mercy on me. I don't want to die right now. That sort of feel to it. That's where we get the idea of a miktam. Okay. Now, a miktam also, if the actual word, if you look in the Hebrew, it has a connotation of being gold or golden or special or set apart. Okay, so David producing this miktam is... It's one of his golden oldies, right? 
This is one of the ones that everybody... This is a good song that we should sing. Why is it a good song? Well, we're going to get into that. And then it talks about when this song, Psalm 56, was written. And it was written during a time when David is going through a tough gig. And he wrote this song during the time when it says, when the first time he was with the Philistines in Gath. Actually, it says, when he was seized in Gath. So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 through 15, and we will see the actual circumstances with which David wrote this psalm. Now let me set the stage here for you. David is with Jonathan, and he says, your father wants to kill me. And Jonathan says, no, no, he wouldn't do that. He says, no, yes, he will. No, he won't. Yes, he will. No, he won't. And so they set up this little um, test. And when it proved that Saul really wanted to kill David, Jonathan sends David out, and David runs. He runs from his life. And he goes, he ends up in a place called Nob where all the priests are hanging out. I mean, the high priest and all the other priests, they're in a town called Nob. And so David is running by himself. There's no one with him. Nobody knows that he's running from Saul other than Jonathan. They're assuming that David is on some secret mission for Saul, and he ends up in Nob, and he says, hey, you got anything to eat? And... Abimelech, Ahimelech says, I got some sacramental bread. And, and David eats it. And he goes, you got, you got anything, got any weapons? He goes, well, as a matter of fact, I have the sword of Goliath, the giant you killed, remember, years ago? It's right here. So David eats. He takes the sword and he runs. He continues to run from Saul. Now, Later on, this gets all the priests of Nob Sans one killed. But he, David runs till he's out of the country. And he ends up in another country. And that country is Philistia. You know, like of the Philistines to a town called Gath. Okay, he's, he finds himself in Gath. The people in Gath see that it's David, and they bring him to the king, Achish. Okay? This is where we're at. And what is David holding? But the sword of Goliath, who is from Gath, who has brothers who are also giants. He's in enemy territory. I mean, can you get any more enemy territory than where he's at? And so, it says in 1 Samuel 21, starting in verse 10, That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. 
So he pretended to be insane in their presence, and while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the door of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, Look at that man, he is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? So David finds himself fleeing from Saul into Felicia, not only in Goliath's hometown, but among Goliath's family, his brothers and friends. And the only way he escapes is that he acts like a wackadoo madman. And then, starting in the next chapter, David goes to the cave at Adullam, where his family, many of his, his brothers and family come with him. Many people of ill repute, many people who are dissatisfied with Saul, end up gathering with him there, and then he's not alone. But at this time, when he writes Psalm 56, he's all by himself. And by his own devices, he acts like a crazy man so that he's not killed in Gath of Philistia. Okay, so now do you want to read Psalm 56 and figure out where his heart is, where he's freaking out? Okay, let's do this. Psalm 56, now that you know the history. And I'm reading from the NIV. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust, and I am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? All day long they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire. They lurk. They watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. Record my misery. Let my tears, list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid, what can man do to me? I am under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. And that give you a little bit different look. I mean, oftentimes we read Psalms, you go, okay, okay, so you're fear, you're afraid, okay. David's own people with the respect of Saul and his kingship, wants, want David dead. And he, he's so fearing there that he ends up in the extreme enemy territory where they want him dead, and he's by himself. He's got no other options but to cry out to God. 
Rescue me, God, is what he's basically saying here. But even more so, because he's asking for justice, he's asking for mercy. He hasn't got it yet. He doesn't get it for a few more years. But he says, and then I will offer my thanksgiving to you, God, because you're going to bring me through this. He, hasn't, he doesn't see the results. He doesn't see that he's been vindicated. He doesn't see that he's been rescued. He doesn't see that his life is no longer in threat. But yet, he's telling God, I'm going to thank you because you, I know you're going to rescue me. That's amazing. That's a faith that, quite frankly, I don't have yet. I want that faith. I want to be able to say, I mean, lately when we've been doing our, our men's prayer, at the end of my prayer, I've said, thank you, God, for hearing our prayer and that you're going to do something even before that I ask. You've heard me say that. I, I'm trying to learn to be able to say, God, I trust you. Even though I don't see it, I still know that you're going to work on my behalf. And that's what I trust you. And that's exactly what Psalm 56 is telling us. Because he's afraid. David fears. He fears his death. He fears the pursuit. How many of you have ever been afraid? The rest of you are lying. Okay. Listen, I want to give you a, a brief testimony of... I can remember growing up, and um, my my household was not been was not the most stable. There were times that we spent um, my sister and I at other houses because my mom and dad were always at odds and ends and fighting, and drinking, and I had a lot of turmoil turmoil growing up. And I look back to my first 13, 14 years of life, and all I was was afraid. I mean, I was afraid of everything. I was afraid at school. I was afraid at home. I can remember going over to a friend's house that literally, they lived at a house, not next door, but the house, the next door over. And... I would walk out their front door to go home and I would run as fast as I could one house length to my house. I, I did it all the time. When I would go to school, I would run to school. I didn't walk to school. I ran to school. I ran everywhere. There was a kid in our neighborhood, never forget him, Jeff Carter, I look back at the pictures now. He was a little squirt. I mean, he was... I mean, I think he never got above 5'3". But he was a bully, and he had his posse, and they rode around in bikes. And when I went to school, I ran to school with fear that I would see Jeff Carter. Or his gang. His gang. And listen, when I was in high school... I started, I joined the track team. They said, gosh, you're really fast. And I, 
That's all I've been doing is running my whole life. I was frightened about everything. I couldn't sleep at night. I was scared. I was scared of my own shadow. I was scared of everything. And then between my eighth grade and ninth grade year, my mom and dad asked me to go to Minneapolis to stay with my sister and brother-in-law because they were working there at the time. I thought, this is great. Wow, I get to go. We went to the zoo. We went to, there's a thousand lakes in Minnesota. And so I learned how to water ski. did all kinds of great things. Then I came home to get ready to go to school. And then dad was no longer living in my house. And then I, I felt totally, what? That's the reason why you wanted me to go away this summer? I was appalled. But my sister and brother-in-law, taught me while I was up there in Minneapolis to read the Bible. They encouraged me to read the Bible. And I would read the Bible and I would get scared. And so I started looking to the Bible of where, what am I going to do with this fear? And I discovered a verse, verses, two verses in the Bible that changed my life. Okay, I knew one verse memorized. John 3, 16. Everybody knows it, right? That was the only one I knew. And when I would be afraid and I prayed that, I was like, okay. Great. Jesus is going to save me. And I'll have everlasting life. But I'm going to die now! I mean, that's what I was thinking. And then I discovered this verse that I memorized. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. What can mere man do to me? It took me forever to memorize it, but I did it. I was walking around in Minneapolis, memorizing it, memorizing it. I've never forgotten it. And so when you read Psalm 56, David says this twice. What can mere mortals do to me? This resonates with me. Sometimes our fear tends to be irrational. I mean, sometimes it's rational. But sometimes it's irrational. We think, oh my gosh, I could die. But then if you go the further step, like, okay, but as a believer in Jesus Christ, I get to be with Jesus the rest of my life. So, or the rest of life. And so, maybe I'm scared, but maybe now I'm thinking, okay, so you can kill me. What else you got? I mean, seriously. Jesus said this. In one of his sermons, he said, do you fear those that can hurt the body or do you fear those that can destroy the soul? That's a big deal. And so one of the things I have learned since my 13th, 14th year living is that 
Death's not it. I mean, you, you want to go through the Bible and you want to look at death. There's a lot of death in the Bible. But one of the key verses in Scripture says, Death, where is thy sting? What Jesus did on the cross made death not such a big deal. And so, what are you afraid of? I mean, I'm asking rhetorical, but think about this. What are you afraid of? I would love to tell you that I'm not afraid of anything now. I'm fearless! But that would be a lie. I'm getting better. I still have irrational fears. My grandfather was kicked out of the family. My dad was pushed out of his family. I have this irrational fear that someday Barb is going to kick me out of the house. Has she ever done anything to, to substantiate that? No. Thank God. But I have this irrational fear. And I have, to, I have to come to grips with that. There's nothing realistic about that, but I have that fear. I have to come to grips with that. Listen, I have fear that my children will not know Jesus Christ. I have a fear of that. And... It keeps me up at night. And so I'm still working on it. But you know what? I'm not afraid of death. And I'm not just saying that. A few years ago, I had um, an embolism and I had a time when I had blood clots. And they thought I was going to die. And they took me to the cardiac unit. And I sat down there. And they, they were working on me. And doing all this stuff. And they said, well, you don't look like a man who's afraid. I said, I'm, I'm not. They said, why not? I know where I'm going. I know who my Savior is. And that technician that I was working with says, you know what? I've never seen this. This makes me think that maybe Christianity just might be true. I wasn't putting on an act. I wasn't afraid. And that's just not the only instance. There's been times I've been running along the road and a car will veer and look like it's going to hit me. And I just like, bring it on. <laughs> I did, I've done that. I'm like, okay. I mean, maybe I should have jumped out of the way, because, you know. But I was like, okay. Next. I mean, fear of death has had its run with me, and I don't have it anymore. Because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. Not because I'm so, oh, I'm better than that. No, because of I realize in my life 
and my choosing to follow Jesus Christ, death has no impact on my life. So if someone says, hey, if I will kill you unless you choose not to follow the Lord, and I will say, bring it on. That's one fear I do not have because of what I did in, when I was 14 years old and I was scared of everything and I chose to look at his word and I recited the word, I remembered the verse, I kept thinking that. I kept hanging on to the word. Now I don't have that fear because you know what? You're another man. You got nothing. The Jeff Carters of the world, you got nothing. Wish I had that when I was 12. <laughs> and the, one of the most amazing parts of Psalm 56 is that David does not see it yet. He's not in reality knowing that God is going to rescue him from the people of Gath. That God is not going to rescue him from Saul. But he stands on the promise that Samuel anointed him, that he would be king. And he stood in the promise that God is faithful. And he said, you know what? When we get through this, I'm going to thank you, God. What is your fear? Fear should not have a hold on you in your life. I mean, we all have fears. But this is where Rubber meets the road. Do you trust God or not? You've got to work through it. And it will make you a stronger follower of Jesus Christ. One last thing before we sing. Did you notice when, he, when, when David wrote in 56, he said this. He repeats himself twice. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. So he's not, he said God. The first part is Elohim. It's the voice for God. It's the name for God. It's in the plural. But then he says, in the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is where his actual, David evokes the name of God, which is Yahweh. We praise him. And now when we sing the song, is Jesus, Jesus, that's another word for God because Jesus is God. He's our Savior. I want you to stand. I want you to sing the song in a new and vibrant way that He is going to, God is going to meet you in your fears and conquer them for His glory in the name of Jesus.